Hey folks, Andy Patton here with the big news in college hoops today is the surprise retirement of Villanova head coach Jay Wright. We're going to discuss that and what it means for Mark Few's legacy, his current status as potentially the face of college basketball. We're also going to look at some transfer portal rumors, an injury update on Caden Perry, the newest zag on the women's basketball team, and we take a look around the rest of the WCC with some roster updates. Jam-packed episode all right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to take you through another off-season for Gonzaga's basketball program. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. I also want to thank all of you who have continued to make Locked On Zags your first listen of the day and remind you to check out the show on YouTube if you have not done so already. Just go to youtube.com, search Locked On Zags, hit that subscribe button, trying to get to a thousand before the start of the next college basketball season, which is going to take place without Villanova head coach Jay Wright. He has retired. This announcement happened About 45 minutes ago from when I am recording this, you are listening to this likely on Thursday or later in the week, so the news has been out for a while now. A bit of a surprise announcement. It kind of took a lot of people on at least college basketball Twitter by surprise. Uh, Reportedly, according to John Fanta of Fox Sports, this is something that Wright had been considering for a while. He is 60 years old. There's really not a whole lot else for him to accomplish uh, in the coaching world. He has multiple national titles. He's been the coach of the year multiple times. Uh, he's a Hall of Famer. Like you, you, the, the resume is pretty darn packed at this point, and you could understand why. And We, we don't have all the details necessarily, but it kind of sounds like at this point he's just made the decision to hang him up and, and spend more time with his family and enjoy the rest of his life. Again, 60 years old, he's certainly not the oldest coach uh, to call it quits, uh, not even this offseason uh, for, for the prominent head coaches, of course, but still a, a tremendous accomplishment for Jay Wright. Uh, really one of the best coaches in college basketball history, quite frankly. There's no other way to look at it. Uh, he's already been replaced. Uh, this, again, happened very, very bang-bang, very quickly. Kyle Neptune, the head coach at Fordham University, is taking over at Villanova. Neptune was a long, long-time assistant coach at Villanova before he took that head coaching job. At Fordham, it's very similar to the Tommy Lloyd situation, uh, although Lloyd obviously took a very prominent job at Arizona. Not quite the same comparison to Fordham, but that kind of situation where it was a coach who had long time been in the wings waiting uh, and is now getting an opportunity to coach the Wildcats. Right, which right retires. That is hard to say fast. Uh, he retires with 924 career victories. 717 of them came at Villanova. The first 207 were when he was the head coach at Hofstra. He has a pair of rings. Like I said, he was twice the coach of the year. One of the most accomplished basketball coaches in the history of the college game. And that's kind of what I want to talk about here in the first segment is we have seen now the end of some significant eras. I believe that the tweet that I saw said from 2003 to 2021, every one of those seasons, Jay Wright was the head coach at Villanova. 
Mike Krzyzewski was the head coach at Duke. Roy Williams was the head coach at North Carolina. None of those three people are going to be coaching again next season. That is a substantial loss in terms of the facial recognition of head coaches at the college game. There are many people listening to this podcast who are not particularly beat up about any of those three coaches not being around anymore, and I can understand why that might be the sentiment, but there is no denying their impact on the game of basketball, specifically on the game of college basketball. Perhaps as the game continues to evolve and change, we've seen a significant amount of changes to the game of college basketball in very recent years with the NIL rules, with the transfer portal, Uh, being the two most notable examples. Uh, Perhaps a shifting in college basketball is not necessarily a bad thing as we're kind of shifting out of some of these coaches who have been here for, for a very long time. But it kind of begs the question of where that leaves Mark Few. This is a Gonzaga podcast, so of course we're going to relate this back to Coach Few and the Zags. The main question really is, is Mark Few the face of college basketball? I think that's a legit, there's two questions, and we're going to talk about both of them. Is Mark Few the face of college basketball, and where does Mark Few rank among active coaches all time? And those two questions are somewhat combined together because clearly the face of college basketball, at least in terms of if you're talking about a a coach, is probably going to be the most or one of the most successful coaches. Right now, Mark Few is is a coach that gets asked to do media appearances very frequently. He was asked his opinion about NIL. He was asked his opinion about transfer portal stuff. Like He has been somebody that has been a face that makes national headlines when he speaks on a topic. When he talked about his beliefs on NIL and that student-athletes should be compensated, it was it made headlines. ESPN is tweeting about that. So this is not, you know, with no disrespect, I'm not going to use an example because I don't want to be mean to other coaches, but there are plenty of other head coaches who their comments on this stuff are not going to make those kind of headlines. So Mark Few's already in that conversation. The fact that he's been a Team USA assistant coach multiple times, the fact that Steve Kerr views his opinion very, very highly as a coach is a pretty good indication of where he currently stands as one of the most respected head coaches in the game currently. Now, there's one big question. There's one big thing that still haunts Mark Few, and it's the same thing that has haunted a lot of head coaches until they finally get off the schneid with this, and that's winning a national championship. Currently, there are seven head coaches who are active coaches now that Jay Wright has retired, now that Coach Krzyzewski has retired. There are seven coaches currently coaching who have won a national championship. Those seven coaches, if you want to impress or weird out your friends at trivia someday, here are those seven coaches. Bill Self from Kansas, John Calipari, of course, at Kentucky, Tom Izzo, at Michigan State, Jim Beheim at Syracuse, Rick Pitino, who won him at Louisville but is now at Iona, Tony Bennett at Virginia, and, of course, Scott Drew for the Baylor Bears. Those are your seven active coaches that have won a national championship. I think it's pretty reasonable to say that Mark Few is the best coach in college basketball who has not won a championship. That is a sentiment that has been shared multiple times. Bob Huggins is certainly in that conversation. If you're looking for a more younger up-and-coming coach, Kelvin Sampson at Houston is definitely in that conversation. But I think let's say for the sake of argument that Mark Few is the number one coach who has not won a championship. That means he ranks somewhere within this top seven. I don't think Mark Few is eighth on this list. His body of work... Uh, leading a program like Gonzaga to where who was 
They weren't nobody when he took over as the head coach. They had just made a nice run into the Elite Eight, but they had not done anything in their history to indicate any level of success like what they have done. This is something that is known not just by you, dear listener, as a Gonzaga fan, but by the majority of people who follow college, follow college basketball understand that this program's rise from just another West Coast mid-major program to what they are today is nuclear. It's monumental. It's, it's unprecedented. And it's why so many people have a hard time reckoning with it. It's why people dislike Gonzaga without really understanding the monumental story that kind of went into this. That, to me, elevates Mark Few over a lot of other names on this list, even ones who have won a championship. I think, for me... Where I'm going to place him, and this is, it's obviously subjective, and many of you will think that he's too low. Many of you may think that he is too high. I am interested in hearing your feedback. Feel free to comment if you think that I'm having too low or too high, or reach out to me on Twitter. Let me know your list, what it may be. I think I have Mark Few fourth. Mark Few right now is, to me, he... I can't find a way to not put him in the top five. And again, I, I don't think I can put him higher than fourth. I guess let's put it that way. I think the top four is in the order could be tweaked a little bit, but I think the top four for me is Bill Self, obviously just won a championship. The big, the big 12 is a monster powerhouse basketball conference and he just runs through it dang near every single season. Uh, It's ridiculous what he is able to do on a, from a consistent basis with that Kansas Jayhawks team. And then to tag on a championship this year is just nice gravy for him. Uh, Tom Izzo, again, very, very old, has been around for a very, very long time is a kind of the, the, one of the last, him and Bayham are kind of the last like significant stalwarts, like old heads. Obviously coach few is not particularly young and self and Calipari. And those guys have been doing this for a long time, but Bayheim is okay, and Roy Williams were kind of uh, all some of the old heads, and, and right now the only two of those guys are left, but Izzo's won championships. He has a lot of success in March. So for me, I think I go Bill Self, Tom Izzo, and then it's it's right there between Mark Few and Calipari. Calipari obviously uh, has had some controversy, has had a lot of bad seasons, something that, that Mark Few has doesn't hasn't really had a lot of just like super early exits or not even making the NCAA tournament or uh, you know just seasons that really didn't pan out at all. Obviously, Mark Fuse had good years and bad years, but his bad years have always, always, always resulted in him still making the NCAA tournament. And even in the the recent the most recent bad season that Mark Few had was that 15-16 year where they had to they had to win the WCC championship in order to make the NCAA tournament. But then as an 11 seed they beat a 6 seed, they beat a 3 seed or yeah, they beat a 3 seed, they went to the Sweet 16. So, you know, that's not that bad of a bad season. A bad season would be getting a 2 seed and then losing to a 15 seed, for example, if we're talking about Calipari here. So right, I think you could argue for Few at 3 behind Self and Izzo. I think you could argue for him at 4 behind Calipari. I think you could probably argue for him ahead of Tom Izzo, at least recently with his, his level of success uh, in the last couple of years. So you could maybe argue for him all the way up at 2. But I think he's somewhere in that conversation. I think he's somewhere between two and four, maybe five, if you're really a big believer in in Bayheim or Scott Drew, potentially, who's had a lot of success, but most of his success has been more recently. Uh, I, I think it's a, it's a really interesting conversation, but I think at this point, you could have made an argument when Jay Wright was still a coach and when Coach Krzyzewski was still coaching at Duke that Mark Few was not in the top five for current head coaches. I don't think you can make that argument anymore. 
I, I, you could say self Calipari Izzo, Bayheim and Drew with Mark Few sixth. I just don't think that's correct. Like, I just don't think that that's. I think that that's too. That's not giving Mark Few enough credit for what he has accomplished over nine hundred wins, sending a team to the NCAA tournament twenty one years in a row, which is just ridiculous. Mark Few is a top five coach in the NCAA in the NCAA right now. He's also quite arguably the face of college basketball, his opinion, his thoughts on how the game is going carry more weight than most of the coaches on the planet right now. Izzo probably has a little bit more. Calipari might, might have a little bit more. Beheim self, and again, in that conversation, Rick Pitino, I'm kind of not really counting him because of so many off-the-court issues that have happened with his programs that I don't think you could argue for him as a better coach than than Mark Few. Obviously, he's had a ton of success, and his opinion does carry a lot of weight, certainly. But I, I think I think right now Mark Few is a top-five coach, maybe a top-three coach in all of college basketball. And I think seeing this shift with, with Kay retiring, with Jay Wright making a surprise announcement to retire, obviously Roy Williams already retiring last season— uh, you're kind of starting to see Mark Few really push himself into that upper echelon as like one of the most notable coaches in the game right now. And I don't have a lot of insight into that other than saying, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. All right, we're going to come back in the second segment. We're going to discuss Caden Perry's back surgery, the newest zag on the women's basketball team, and some transfer portal rumors. Before we get there, though, let's talk about today's sponsor, Athletic Greens. I started taking Athletic Greens because I wanted to see what the hype was about. I've been on it for about six weeks now, and honestly, I love it. It doesn't taste like it's super healthy. It has kind of a mild, tropical taste that I really actually look forward to every morning. So what is this stuff? With one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special brand of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy recovery, focus, and aging— all of the things. There is so much to love about Athletic Greens. It contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals or artificial anything while still tasting good. It supports better sleep quality and recovery. It costs you less than $3 a day. You're investing in your health and it's cheaper than your cold brew habit. And Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews and has been recommended by professional athletes. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com college. Again, that is athleticgreens.com college to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. All right, segment two, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags. Moving away from the Jay Wright conversation and what it means for Mark Few. Instead, we're going to look at the kind of the, the, the news of the week. I, I've been, I collect any bits of information that happened throughout the week. Usually at this point of this offseason, it's transfer portal stuff. Kind of gather it together, try to do it once per week where we just kind of rehash all of the news that happened that didn't make it into previous episodes, especially while we're doing the season in review series, which we are 
almost done with about 75% of the way through those. Uh, the biggest update that we got was from Caden Perry's Instagram page. It was a picture of him in a hospital gown in a hospital bed. I believe he tweeted, new back, who dis? Which is a pretty funny way to let the world know that he just had back surgery. That is the extent of what I know about Caden Perry's back surgery. I have not heard any additional information from sources, from Perry himself, from anybody else who's plugged into the program. So if there is more updates, we will absolutely have them for you. But right now, we just know that he had back surgery. We know that he's had previous back injury issues. He had the issue that cost him most of his senior year of high school. And of course, he had injury issues last season that cost him the second half of the year. Back stuff lasts a while. That's why it's kind of important to get a bigger update here. Hopefully, the decision to have surgery is because they felt that it was a better option than continuing to attempt rehab. Obviously, they would not have made that decision otherwise. And that they believe that with a significant amount of rest, which the season is more than six months away at this point, that he will recover and he will be 100% going into next year. Right now, Caden Perry is a big piece of what Gonzaga wants to do next season. Drew Timmy has declared for the NBA draft. He has not made it Perfectly clear what he's going to do. He still has the option to return. But at this point, it looks more likely than not that he is not going to be on the roster next year. Chet Holmgren has not officially declared for the NBA draft, but there is no reason to believe that he is not planning to do so, which leaves potentially two front court spots open for Gonzaga next year. They're still on the transfer hunt. They're likely going to find somebody to fill one of those roles via the transfer portal. Anton Watson probably steps into the other role if both of them are available, but then that leaves the backup spots. Perry is, if he's healthy next year, is very likely in line to be Gonzaga's third big, potentially playing 15, 20, 25, but maybe even minutes per night next year. That that depends on his health and, and how not only his health, but how well he recovers from this and, and is ready to go at full speed 100% because back stuff, like I said, it lingers. It's not necessarily just going to be pain-free from here on out. He's going to be dealing with this. He's going to have to do some rehab and everything. So when there are more updates on Caden Perry's back, we'll definitely have them here on the podcast. But for right now, it's definitely a, a, a significant situation to monitor in terms of what Gonzaga's front court is going to look like next season. Sticking with the men's program, Kendrick Davis from SMU listed Gonzaga in his top seven. He is making his final decision for where he is transferring on the 22nd. So many of you are listening to this on the 21st or potentially on the 22nd. So he will have his decision out very, very soon. Currently, he is deciding between Gonzaga as well as Houston, Texas Christian, Texas, Kansas, Texas Tech, and Memphis, it sure sounds like the guy wants to stay in the Texas area for schools in Texas out of the seven on his list. Jeff Goodman, who is very, very plugged into the college basketball landscape, he's at Stadium. He says that Memphis is the front runner, that he felt very, very confident that he was going to end up in Penny Hardaway's program at Memphis. So I wouldn't get my hopes up too much here uh, unless we hear that something has changed. Gonzaga's been in the mix for a lot of guards up to this point, but the very like high-level score first probably would come in and be starters. A lot of those guards, all of those guards up to this point, have not chosen Gonzaga. Anthony Black flipped and went to Arkansas at the last minute. Sky Clark, there's a lot of thought that he would come to Gonzaga after he decommitted from Kentucky. He opted not to do that. Mark Sears from Ohio opted to transfer elsewhere. Kendrick Davis were still unclear, but 
looks likely that he's going to Memphis. I, I don't know exactly if this means anything significant. My guess is that players don't want to commit to Gonzaga if they think that they're going to have to fight for a starting spot if Nolan Hickman and Hunter Salas are the front runners to be the starters in the backcourt that these guys don't want to come in if there's a chance that they're going to come off the bench, which I can understand why they might feel that way if they want to go to a program where they're going to be a high-level starter and there are other opportunities out there, then they're going to pick that as opposed to picking Gonzaga where they might end up getting buried on the bench. The Zags are willing to be picky. They're willing to find and wait for the right guy. The right guy could potentially be... Jermaine Kuznard, who I've talked about a handful of times already on this podcast. Kuznard is set to visit Gonzaga on the 28th of this month, according to John Rothstein of CBS. He already released his top seven. The Zags are already on the list, so he's already considering Gonzaga. He's got a visit lined up to come see the program, uh, to come see the school. I think he fits a little bit more of what Gonzaga is probably looking for uh, in their fourth guard. He's six foot four. He's more of a combo guard. He's not a great outside shooter, which is a detriment. It is a bit of an issue for him, but at the end of the day, he's a good scorer. He's got some decent size to him. I saw somebody on Twitter, and I apologize for not remembering who it was, uh, but they dropped an Admon Gilder comp on Jermaine Kuznard, and from what I have seen of Kuznard, the video that I have watched, I watched a little bit of South Carolina last year, and I watched some specific highlights of him. I can see it. He's, he's good at attacking the rim. He's got decent size for a guard, and he seems like he could fill a complementary role fairly well. I, to be clear, I don't think he would come in and, and play very little. I think he would play a good amount. I think Gonzaga, there's a good opportunity for them to run a lot more three-guard lineups next season. That depends, of course, on what Julian Strother ends up deciding to do. If he truly does stay in the NBA draft, the Zags are going to run a lot of three-guard lineups, and a guy like Kuznard could absolutely fill a like the small forward role for this team in that situation. So definitely a name to keep an eye on for the Zags. Then the final update before we move on to the third segment is about Brenna Maxwell. Brenna Maxwell is officially announced on Twitter that she is transferring to Gonzaga, joining the women's basketball program and Coach Fortier. She is a graduate transfer with one year of eligibility. She's initially from Gig Harbor, Washington, so another Washingtonian returning home for the Zags. She spent the last three seasons at the University of Utah. She averaged 106 points per game last season for the Utes, but she lost her starting starting job midway through the season, was benched for the second half of the season. Not a huge surprise when you're scoring 11 points per game and you're getting relegated to the bench that you might look elsewhere for your final year of eligibility. For a Zags team that's losing Abby O'Connor and Sierra Walker to graduation, this is a nice get. This is a nice addition for them. They needed some more guard depth. They needed some more outside shooting. Maxwell offers both of those things. Uh, Coach Fortier continuing to utilize the portal well. Sierra Walker uh, was a transfer from, I believe, Vanderbilt when she came to Gonzaga and then, of course, hit nine threes in a game last year. So definitely good to go out and find those sharpshooters via the transfer portal. And Maxwell's going to be a big piece for the Lady Zags next season. All right, two segments down. We're going to come back. In the third segment, we're going to look around the WCC. It's been a relatively quiet offseason so far for most of the the programs in the WCC conference, but there are still a few updates to share. We're going to talk about those here. Before we get there, though, let's talk about Bet Online. The 2022 NCAA tournament is in the books. 
with a win secured by Bill Self, the potential top coach in the country, and the Jayhawks of Kansas, while the Zags unfortunately fell short of the game's pinnacle week. That does not mean the Zags fans cannot remain in on the action. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all of your betting needs and sports information. From all the latest odds, contests, and player props, you name it. BetOnline remains the best spot for all of your latest sports developments, including podcasts and reviews for all the leagues this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your continued source for all of your sports wagering information needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. They even have lines on a fight between Will Smith and Chris Rock, should you be so inclined to bet on it. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, segment three, Stoney Patton still locked on Zags. Switching over to talk about the WCC and what has been going on with the other member schools during the offseason. We've talked about how it's been a relatively quiet offseason via the transfer portal for the Zags. We've had a, a few changes recently as two players have declared for the NBA draft, although the, there's no any certainty about whether they are going to come back or leave uh, we haven't had any transfers come into Gonzaga yet, although we haven't had anybody leave yet either outside of Will Graves, who has put his name in the portal but has not committed elsewhere. So, finally, some movement in the rest of the WCC. The biggest addition, LMU added Noah Tates from Stanford. This was the first first addition via the transfer portal for the WCC. I believe at one point the WCC had over 20 different players in the transfer portal from member universities, but had not brought a single player in. It was looking a little rough for things in the early going for the WCC, but LMU breaks the streak, adds Tate's a strong outside shooter from Stanford, Basically, this is just a Joe Quintana replacement. Joe Quintana transferred to Cal Baptist. He's going to help that program significantly. He was a 40-plus percent outside shooter for the Lions. Now they replace him with a Stanford player in Tates. That was The big talk was going to be how that was still to this day the only addition for a WCC program. But less than five minutes before I hit the record button, on this podcast, I saw a tweet that the Portland Pilots and Shantae Leggins have added Joey St. Pierre from Milwaukee. St. Pierre was a JUCO transfer to Milwaukee, so even though he only spent one year with that program, he only has one year of eligibility remaining for the Pilots. He is a six foot ten center, so they added a big man, which they desperately needed last year. I think they were starting six foot eight Tyler Robertson he wasn't quite their center but like he was one of the biggest guys on their starting lineup Moses Wood uh, Fresno State transfer I think he's maybe six nine and he was kind of their big man so it was a big issue for coach Leggins and his team they just did not they had a lot of very talented players on that roster last year but not a lot of size they solved that issue with St. Pierre excuse me he averaged 6.3 points 5.7 rebounds not an outside threat, shot under 50% from the free throw line. So he's a back-to-the-basket, low-post scorer and rebounder. But at this level, you just need dudes with some size. You just need to make sure you have some guys who can who can push people around a little bit and who can hang with some of the other bigger players in the WCC. And UP managed to check that box by picking up St. Pierre from Milwaukee. Now we got to talk BYU. BYU is still in the WCC, although they will not be for a whole lot longer. And also their roster is apparently going to look very, very different 
next season in the less than 48-hour span. It was reported that Caleb Lohner, Gideon George, and Gavin Baxter are all hitting the transfer portal for Mark Pope's squad. This is a big deal. This is a big deal. These are three of their best players. Now, Baxter has had just horrific injury luck in his collegiate career. He's been at he's been at BYU for many, many years. I think four four years, at least three years now. If you feel like you've never heard of Gavin Baxter, that's because he has suffered an ankle injury, a season-ending ankle injury every year that he has been in the BYU program last year. It happened really early in the season. So we just never got to see him fully healthy with the Cougars. He just he's six foot ten, very, very sturdy, strong power forward type that they really could have used this past season. They got absolutely crushed on the glass once he got went down with the injury. It was a big problem for BYU all season long. So losing him to the transfer portal is a big bummer. Caleb Lohner was the second most recognizable player on BYU's roster last season after Alex Barcelo. He had a really, really good freshman year. Many people kind of thought coming into his sophomore season he would be an all-WCC caliber player, and he just really struggled on the offensive end of the floor. He's a decent defensive player. He's a good rebounder, but he just could not get the ball to go into the bucket throughout the season. He kind of he finally kind of found his footing a little bit at the end of the year, but now it looks like he's going to be looking for another school to continue his collegiate career. And then Gideon George was a big piece for BYU as well. I don't know what's going on here. I don't know if there's something specific. I'll tell you that Nick Emery, who is not necessarily the most reliable source, has been on a tear on Twitter recently, bashing BYU, bashing Coach Pope, bashing the staff, basically saying, I told you all this would happen. Nobody wants to be here. Everybody's pissed off. But then a lot of other people who are plugged into the program, Jake Toulson, who used to play for Coach Pope uh, at Utah Valley and at BYU, responded and started trashing Nick Emery. It's it's a fascinating situation going on at BYU right now. If you haven't followed the situation on Twitter and you're, you want to eat some popcorn and follow some Twitter drama, definitely check it out. It's pretty interesting. I don't know what it means. I think Mark Pope's a good coach. The, the general consensus about him has been that he's an enjoyable coach to play for. That doesn't mean that everybody feels the same way about that situation or even that that is necessarily true. I don't know. But clearly losing three of your Three of your rotation players, had Baxter been healthy, he would have been a starter. Three significant pieces in a 48-hour span is when you're when you're a program with aspirations of being a top 25, top 30 type program, losing three big pieces, especially right before you go to the Big 12, not a good look at all. So BYU is going to have some significant work to do this offseason to find some calib- high-caliber players to bring in and replace those guys if they want to still be competitive going into next year. And then the last couple updates, uh, switching over to St. Mary's and Randy Bennett's squad. Uh, One good, one bad for for St. Mary's. Logan Johnson announced he is returning to St. Mary's. He's going to use his extra year of eligibility. This is his COVID year. Same decision that Tommy Cousy made to use his COVID year and come back to St. Mary's for a fifth season. Logan Johnson going to do the same thing. Logan Johnson, very, very talented player for the Gales. Super athletic. He threw down a monster dunk on the Zags during one of their final games against each other in the regular season. Uh, Played really well in the NCAA tournament as well. Very good athlete, not a very good outside shooter, but a menace defensively, has a very real chance of being the WCC Defensive Player of the Year next season. This is a big night. This is a big addition for St. Mary's. I say addition because you kind of don't expect a lot of those fifth-year guys to come back, but for St. Mary's to bring him back is is huge, uh, especially after losing Kusi. And 
losing Matthias Toss, which is a big loss for the Gales. Obviously, Toss was their big man. He had some really monstrous performance this year. He was a big part of the reason that Chet Holmgren and Drew Timmy struggled in that WCC regular season finale uh, because he's a good defensive player. He's a great rebounder. He's a good shot blocker. He, like Logan Johnson, just finished his fourth season at St. Mary's, had the option to return for year number five with that final year of eligibility. Opted not to take it. I don't know if he is planning to formally declare for the NBA draft and go through that process, if he is going to go home to Europe and play professionally that there, if he's going to do something else with his career, I have no idea. I expect uh, he's going to continue to play basketball because he's very, very good at it. But I haven't really heard anything else. But for, for St. Mary's, getting Johnson and Toss back would have been really huge for their chances of, of potentially upsetting Gonzaga and winning the WCC or at least being a top 25 team throughout the year. They still have a decent chance of doing so, but the front court is going to need some significant work. Mitchell Saxon had a nice year as a backup center for the Gales. He's going to step into a starting role unless they add via the transfer portal, which is also a strong option for them as well. Uh, but right now, the addition of Logan Johnson or not losing Logan Johnson really helps them, but losing Toss is going to going to put some question marks into what this team could look like next season. All right, that is going to do it for me today. We got one more show coming out this week. We're talking all things Gonzaga baseball program, so check that out on Friday right here on the Locked on Zags podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts and available on YouTube as well. Check it out there if you haven't yet. Finally, thank you again to those of you who make Locked On Zags your first listen every day. Now is a great time to make your second listen of the day, the Locked On NBA Draft Podcast. With the college basketball season all wrapped up, give Raphael Barlow and a flurry of guests a listen as they prepare for the NBA Draft. Hear thoughts on Chet Holmgren, Paolo Bancaro, and the rest of the NBA's future stars on Locked On NBA Draft, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. All right, thank you all for listening, and go Zags.